0: episode 162 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 31st of January, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Spring is here. Graham.
1: No, it's not.
0: And Will. <laughs> yeah, it's freezing. What are you on about? First of February. Spring in Ireland. <laughs> you, re- <laughs> you really are an optimistic bunch, aren't you? We mark the start, not the middle, like the rest of you is. <laughs> Fair enough. It's probably still going to snow and stuff. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So before we get started, I just wanted to mention the early releases thing. So originally I'd said that people who were patrons at the $10 level per month or more could sometimes get early releases of episodes. It turns out that it's slightly more difficult than I thought to do that. And so I think it's easy to just say that anyone in the $5 or more per month tier can get the early releases. It's not going to be every episode early. It's just that sometimes I edit them before they're scheduled to go out, and then I queue them up for publishing. And instead of queuing them on Patreon, I may as well just press publish. So as I said, it's not going to be every time, but that is a new perk of it. So latenightlinux.com slash support, if you want to get a link to the Patreon, and you also get the advert-free RSS feed as well. And I also, I'd better mention, Linux Downtime. It's a completely brand new show. I have no idea why it started at episode 39, but uh, there you go. No, it's because it's Late Night Linux Extra. I've renamed it to Linux Downtime. So if you see that in the all episodes feed or on Spotify or YouTube, that's what it is. It's just Late Night Linux Extra. But it's, it's definitely new if you've never listened to it before. But if you have listened to it loads, then it's just exactly what it was. So hopefully that explains it for people who are confused. There's enough bad news going around at the moment, so let's start with some extremely good news, and that is that you will soon be able to actually buy a Steam Deck. Now, there's not much to say apart from that, but on the 25th of February, you'll be able to order it, you'll actually pay for it, and then a few days later, you should have one, if you are sufficiently far forward
1: in the queue, that is. Yes, it doesn't sound like many people will be able to do that. Um, I certainly seem to be still pushed back months and months and months, although there's no date given when I try and log in to see what the current status is. So whatever the first 25% was, um, those lucky people will be able to pay for it and hopefully get their devices soon after. I saw also today that some people are getting review units. So it must be very close. They must be finished with the hardware revisions and happy enough with the software.
2: This is very exciting. I genuinely didn't think this day would come.
0: I worried that it might not, but thought that it probably would. But I thought that it'd keep getting pushed back
1: a few more times. Yeah, I mean, I think I've said this before, but over the last two and a half years, I've backed quite a few crowdfunding campaigns now, and I don't think any of them have yet delivered because of various chip shortages, from little pressure sensors on bikes to, um, to a synth. So, yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised had it been a whole year late. It's quite surprising that they
2: have actually managed to ship these, given the chip shortages that... All of the CPU manufacturers seem to have everywhere, even even Raspberry Pi, who manufacture stuff in the UK, have all suffered with with shortages on on all fronts. So to see things that need tiny little switches and touch pads and screens and batteries and who knows what else to see it all come together at the moment is is quite extraordinary.
0: Yeah, well, look forward to hearing about them, and hopefully you can get yours soon enough, Graham, and you can talk about it on air. But uh, it might be christmas next year by the time you get yours we'll have to see yeah good chance to get a guest on with with one of the units maybe maybe yes all right something not strictly linux related g suite legacy this was a way to get free vanity email from gmail that you took advantage of will i thought it was very few people but it turns out it was quite a lot of people and well it's not going to be free anymore from july
2: I think everybody that I know who had their own domain maybe 10 years ago, 11 years ago, signed up for Google Apps for Domains, as it was called at that time, because you could then redirect your mail to what was effectively Gmail for free. And I'm reasonably sure that they marketed it as being free forever. But um, yeah, they've had a change of heart now. Now, it does mean that in the last 10 years or so, I have used Gmail without having adverts uh, appear in my um, in my inbox, and allegedly they haven't scanned any of that mail in order to <laughs> search it and, and understand what I'm buying. Sure. Now, I think they did say, in fairness, they did say that they'd stopped doing that a few years ago, but yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, supposedly they haven't had that. So there's, the search is on, really, to try and find something that offers the same ease of use as Gmail the same services and the ability to host your own domain within the the overall package. We've linked to a couple of blog posts that talk about the options and and people have done some really good research to look at what's available uh, and compare the options. And weirdly, the Microsoft option looks pretty good compared to the others, with one downside, which is that you must host your domain with GoDaddy, Mm. which seems just bizarre. What a weird choice, But, but there we go. So this whole story has been rumbling on for a couple of weeks now uh, with no real information coming out of Google. Ron Amadeo put uh, an article out and announced on Twitter that Google had sort of snuck in a link to a Google survey that said, oh, are you using it for your friends or family? Maybe you'd be interested in this secret thing that we haven't talked about yet. Fill in your details here and we'll get back to you. Um, But really, there's been no other information coming out of Google about what it is that you're going to be offered. So I think the choice is like it or lump it. And if you want to pay them, I think, four quid a month or something like that for a single email address, then you're very welcome to. Or it's time to start moving uh, and looking for alternative providers.
0: Well, when I stopped hosting my own email, because that was just silly, I just went for Namecheap, because that is as the name suggests cheap <laughs> and uh, it seems to do the job do they offer the wild
2: card email addresses that google offer no yeah so i use that quite a lot if if i sign up to a new website whatever it is i always put whatever the domain is uh, at my email address so i don't have to in theory risk uh, one leak from one website polluting my entire you know password cache but i don't know i don't think that's a feature i can live without I've got so many signups at various email addresses. I can't remember what they all
0: are. Well, you could always spin up an exim server.
2: Well, I have thought <laughs> about it. And, and, well, yeah, there's there's a million reasons not to host your own email. I I don't think I'm going to go down that route. Ooh. But maybe I'm just going to end up paying Google a fiver a month for the privilege.
0: Do you host your own email then, Phelim? Yeah, do yeah. Uh, company email, personal
1: email. Yep, me too. You're a pair of madmen, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you're just <laughs> losers. The pair of you. I must admit, it's not my main email, but I keep keep it running. I do have a Gmail address or two, but um, I still have my uh, postfix running on my server, my CentOS. I shouldn't say that <laughs> on my updated CentOS server. <laughs> it's definitely not that for. That's <laughs> my main email. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Works grand. Fair enough. Yeah, and it is ideal for and um, just those cases that we're saying when you want to sign up for something and you want to use a. Uh, you know, wild card. And it's really good as well to see who leaks your emails because, you you know, you see that domain coming in as spam from somewhere. Mm. There was an interesting post by Cory Doctorow
0: called A bug in early creative commons licenses has enabled a new breed of super predator. This is on Medium. I don't know why he writes on Medium. I think you get paid or something, so fair enough, but Medium. But it's a really great piece. It's quite long, but it's about copyleft trolls. And The early versions of Creative Commons were quite strictly written and it's enabled people to upload their images to sites like Flickr and put this Creative Commons license on them but an older version and then a bunch of people use them, don't get the attribution 100% correct and then get hit with scary legal letters threatening them $150,000 fines if they don't just pay up the few hundred dollars to make it go away. And it's just unbelievable how shit some people can be like get a proper fucking job
2: some of these schemes are really quite clever the way that they they've set these um systems up in which to farm pictures out onto the internet and then automate the the sending out of these these messages these these demands for money it's kind of quite clever but they're absolute bastards to do it (laughs) But, you know, why, why not do it? If you are a complete bastard, why not spend a couple of hours writing a script that could bring in thousands of pounds a month? I can imagine that there are lots of businesses out there that see these demands come in and rather than think about it, just pay it. And so on the one hand, they are exploiting uh, legal loopholes. On the other hand, they're exploiting just lazy businesses. But fuck them anyway.
0: <laughs> I don't think it is lazy businesses because I think most businesses who regularly use images just pay for... Is it like Getty Images? Oh, there's yeah. various services where you can just pay in and get uh, you know a bunch of images that you've got a license to use. This is more bloggers and stuff who, uh, you know, they're going to the hassle of not just going to Google Images and stealing something. They're trying to find something that's Creative Commons. And trying to put the proper attribution links in and stuff, but that can be quite complicated. And so, yes, it is clever, but I don't think it is the fault of the victims here. I think you victim-blaming here, Will. And it's just so shit that Creative Commons, this thing that was supposed to be this amazing opportunity to share stuff properly, is just being abused like this. Thankfully, the more modern versions of Creative Commons... I've got a 30-day clause in them where, you know, you can actually sort it out once you're notified. But in the early days, there wasn't that provision. So it's just, bam, $150,000 fine, potentially. So be warned, check the license carefully and make sure that it's a a more up-to-date one than these bastards are using. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24 7 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night Linux. Let's do some discoveries then. Will, JQ, what's this about?
2: Yeah, so not really a discovery because I've been using it for a long time, but uh, I thought it was so important to me this week that I should spread the word just in case people haven't heard of it. If you're interacting with web services that return JSON objects as their results, which a lot of them do, and you want to do that interaction from the command line using, for example, curl, then you often need to parse those JSON objects and get, you know, pull information out of them and, and act on it. And so rather than write, for example, a Python script to do that, you can use JQ and you can pipe JSON objects through JQ. And then using this sort of similar to um, CSS selectors in JavaScript and um, CSS, you can pull the data out using a sort of dot notation to walk the tree to find the thing that you want and have jq just spit those results out either as just individual values or it can reprocess and rewrite the json Uh, it's just a very very handy swiss army knife of json handling to to have installed so do install it and uh, and check it out and there's a good website as well which lets you Interact with it in a sort of um, in a test way so you can paste your JSON objects and then try things out in a web browser until you find the exact query that works for you and then you can just copy and paste it across so well worth checking
1: out yeah I've used it quite a bit it's like It isn't actually that difficult to use, you know, especially when you have to kind of struggle with using some kind of REST API online to get some details, which is hard enough. But you can kind of construct a curl to get it. And then you just want to make sense of what you actually get so that you can do something else with it on the command line. And it's perfect for that kind of thing. And a lot easier than trying
0: to fight with regular expressions.
1: Yeah. Or or, or what I would do is like grep with (laughs) with (laughs) lots of greps.
0: All right, well I discovered that the hardware enablement kernel on Ubuntu is not always a good thing. So, I went round to my parents to do a bit of maintenance of their machines. I'll get back to my dad's machine in a bit. But my mum's running Zubuntu 20.04. <sighs> obviously. Now, I went to do some updates and obviously she just hadn't done any for ages. She said it hadn't popped up, so I don't know what was going on there. So, I did a lot of updates, rebooted it all seemed to be fine, and then moved on to my dad's machine. But then, the next day, my sound isn't working, she says. It works with the Bluetooth speaker, but the internal sound doesn't work. I said, all right, well, I'll come back around tonight then. And so I did, and sure enough, the sound card had just disappeared. I thought, let me reboot, no. Turns out I just didn't play nicely with the 513 hardware enablement kernel. So then I had to fuck around for about, I don't know, at least half an hour removing the hardware enablement one and going back to the 5.3 or whatever it is that shipped originally because this laptop's fairly old but uh yeah it was a right pain in the ass to like purge all the old kernels and and get it working properly so that updates wouldn't fuck it and stuff so yeah thanks canonical for your uh hardware enablement kernel it caused me a right ball ache they were just trying to inspire you to give your mom a decent machine. <laughs> this is a decent machine. I think it's like a 7th gen i5, which is overkill, quite frankly, for what she needs. But it just didn't play nicely with that hardware element kernel. But Phelan, you have been installing Windows 10 for some reason.
3: Yeah, it was for a, a relations PC, and they gave me a... a, a just ancient thing i don't even know what it was it was a 32-bit celeron type thing i just was like no i'm i've got an old machine in the attic i can give you which had windows 7 which i installed afresh on a new drive from got an ssd and everything then did the upgrade to windows 10 and then it refused to update after that because god only knows i cleared caches everything it continued to break so i ended up reinstalling it about three times and eventually got it working again but just kind of just point out how awful windows is and I don't know why anybody wants us to be moving anyway, remotely close to this type of setup with their app stores and various immutable file
0: systems and what way they do their patches and all that. Our system works perfect. It's terrible. Can I just say that you did it wrong there. If you had a Windows 7 license, you should have just gone for a Windows 10 install in the first place and it would have just recognized it. Yes, well, I didn't know that.
3: And <laughs> yes, that would have been very valuable information on this several occasions I already did it. So yeah
0: crap though yeah well i had windows 10 trouble as well i mentioned my dad's machine so i sorted him out a new dell that was actually quite cheap off ebay this was a i think a sixth gen i5 and that came with windows 10 pro and office pre-installed so that was all good didn't have to piss about with that it was relatively up to date installed all the stuff that i needed including thunderbird and his printer scanner software he's got one of those all-in-one brother devices and he doesn't understand what a file system is. He d- I mean, I tried to explain it to him years ago, and he just wasn't having it. He just, how do I scan? Well, okay, so you have to understand what a file is- How do I scan? Okay, well, you have to understand what a file is- And then we ended up properly rowing, so I was like, right, okay. <laughs> Thankfully, his software on the old Windows 7 machine, you could just open the scanning software, press email, and then it would scan the document, open up a compose window in Thunderbird, with it attached already, and then you would just put in the email address, done. Unfortunately, 64-bit Thunderbird in Windows 10 did not want to play nicely with this uh, brother scanning software. So my only option after talking to Chris from Linux After Dark for about an hour about this was to get the 32-bit version of Thunderbird, and then it worked perfectly. So Well done, Thunderbird, for still having a 32-bit Windows version. You really saved my bacon there.
2: Any indication
0: about why that worked? No, but I think it might be a case of some sort of API that just didn't work. Like The 32-bit scanning software was scanning the document and then trying to look for a 32-bit Thunderbird binary that wasn't there, and you had that spinning wheel thing in Windows and then it just died there must be some sort of equivalent of sim linking or something in windows but i just don't know enough about it and maybe that could have worked but uh the 32-bit version seemed to do the trick phelium you also reinstalled your phone you talked to us a little bit about that last time we did discoveries
3: yeah and i know everybody's waiting with bated breath to find out how my phone did and it's a very very important thing in people's lives but uh no i actually did reinstall it and I thought it was going to be a right nightmare. My God, it was so easy. I don't know whether there's changes that have happened since I last installed it. I don't know. But I literally put uh, a new version of twerp on it. And then I fired on the firmware bundle and then the OS bundle. And it just went on. And that was it. Job done. So I'm not entirely keen on Lineage 18's notifications. But hey, it's a, it's got patches my bluetooth is no longer vulnerable and i could buy one of those wee bluetooth dongle things that you can stick normal headphones into so now i won't be smashing my phone off the ground in a rage so happy days
0: yeah or opening it up and completely breaking it again
1: (sighs) yeah all right graham it's synth time tell us about vital synth so this is why we have this whole finds of the fortnite isn't it so that i can find a synth and talk about it (laughs) yeah but this i mean there aren't many real open source synth that i'd highly recommend but this one called vital is really one of the best synths i've ever come across and the fact that it's open source is pretty remarkable um it's by a guy called matt title who also did helm which is a really great synth but this vital it's a kind of it's a it's called a wavetable synth and i'm going to try not go on about S- synth geeky stuff i promise it's not going to last too long but a wavetable synth basically you i've i've okay so i've got it running so i can make the sound this is this is a really simple basic sound if you can hear it do you hear that yeah right so that is the sound from an oscillator just one oscillator but with a wavetable you can take this one oscillator and you can kind of scroll through it as if it was um a two dimensional grid so i'll scroll through it And so you can have four of those running at the same time um, and build really complicated sounds. Uh, There's a famous wavetable synth that's used in all kinds of pop music called uh, Serum. And Vital is very, very similar to that. But it's just crammed full of, it sounds amazing, crammed full of features. One of my favourites, for example, is that something that I've gone on about before, it does uh, MPE, which is like the latest MIDI standard for expression control. So with an old synth, you could do pitch bend like this. But and you could and that would happen across all the notes that you were playing, you know, with the pitch bend wheel at the end of the keyboard. But with MPE, you can do pitch bend on individual notes, like on a guitar, for example. Like that. Or. so that allows you to do all kinds of kind of play it much more expressively. The other great thing is that it's easy to use. The GUI is this beautifully OpenGL accelerated thing that does actually make everything really clear. If you want to, for example, modulate the sound, so with an LFO that's going wow, 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 you can make that change any other element in the synth by just kind of dragging and dropping as if it was a modular synth with a cable, for example. This is, if I do that for a filter. Um, And there's all kinds of, the filters sound great themselves. and you can build really complicated sounds I, I could go on and on about it so I don't want to too much but I'll, I'll, this that was a very simple basic sound with a single oscillator but this is another one that I created earlier, this is a really nice bass patch it's, see that's even got some delay on it, the effects the, the effects are really great that's got a delay effect if I, if I just put an arpeggiator on for a second um, it's going to work <laughs> I think it sounds great, but it does some really weird stuff. This is this is quite cool.
0: You're listening to Late Night Synths. Oh yeah, space <laughs> station
1: sounds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Deadmaus. <laughs> yeah. it's it's just a great synth and he tries to encourage you to create an account where you can then buy kind of subscription models to new presets and updates. But really, this isn't necessary. The code is on GitHub. There are forks that are available that kind of do away with all that. But the packages, even if you download the free version, you get loads of sound and loads of... The wave wave Wavetable synthesis has been around ever since the very beginning of digital synthesis. Um, There's some famous synths, such as the PPG that use them and the virus. Um, And you can download those Wavetables and import them into... Um, vital and make those sounds up as you go along. There's so many resources. You don't need anything else to get started. And it really is one of the best synths you can get hold of regardless of price. And I love it. It's it's a really great um, synth and it runs brilliantly on Linux. So that's actually an open source
3: project that you could easily use the free software version of and still donate to as if it was a subscription
1: yeah there there really isn't any kind of obfuscation nice it's great and it's beautifully designed i mean it maybe sounds complicated if you're not used since before but (laughs) it's a really good way to get started because the presets are really powerful you don't even have to kind of design your own sounds but then when you do it's also clearly animated the way that everything kind of changes is is animated in the same color so you can see which parts of the synth are having an effect on other parts of the synth that's very cool it's easy to see it in motion than uh, listen to me joan on about it but it's it's great great piece of software and one of my favorites
0: right well link in the show notes and uh, are we also going to put a link to your SoundCloud as well, Graham?
1: <laughs> oh, I've not updated that in a decade, I don't think.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. You don't actually make anything, do you? You just piss around making what what wop sounds. That's it.
1: That's just, there's too many things to kind of investigate and look into and hack around <laughs> on to actually record anything. It's true.
0: Yeah, I know exactly what that's like. All right, let's do a quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. Falcon dot. Zero. This is the first release in a year. I understand even more than that. I think the last one was March 2019.
3: So wow, it's one of those things. Is Firefox gonna you know become unbearable at some point? It's nice to have another option that isn't just Google Chrome or Chromium. Um, and yeah, I mean, Falcon's quite nice. I actually use it for development work when I'm want another browser just test out a page or whatever. And the dev tools in it are quite good. So. It's got some good stuff in there and uh, they've made a load of bug fixes and updates and stuff and it's nice to see that it hasn't died because I quite honestly thought it had.
0: All right. And uh, the 15-minute bug initiative, we've talked about this before but now it's actually happening.
3: Yeah, so Nate blogged about this. So he's trying to get bugs that affect you within about 15 minutes of use and he's kind of concentrating on Plasma due to the amount of people that they have to work on these things and there's a fair quantity of bugs already that he's got a list of about 100 long and within the space of the first week they cleared down to i think 87 and then they're down to 84 now obviously there were some low hanging fruit they could get rid of easier at the first week but it's nice to see this and it's good that they're starting to make progress on you know bug fixes that you know impact people pretty quickly with you know or things that people look past i mean i probably look past a lot of bugs i don't even see anymore so uh, i think it's nice to see that and uh, in one of his weekly updates They talk about the SSH in console. That's going to be a great feature that's coming up soon in 2204. And that's where they can change profile based on the remote server that you log into SSH. So if you need different settings, which I think
0: is quite cool. Yeah, console definitely needed more features. It did. (laughs) I'm glad you agree. I'll take that as on face value. It's becoming the Emacs of terminals, isn't it? Oh, shut up. Lies. (laughs) All right. What's this runner
3: help? So KRunner is the sort of alt Spacebar or alt F2 command running application for KDE. And it used to have a help item back in KDE 4, which unfortunately the way the code was tied together was quite hard to to bring on to 5. And what they've decided to do is to make the new one a help plugin. And they've made it quite smart in the fact that you can use either the description of the uh, command you're trying to run or a first usage or various, you know, verbs that allow you to give an example of what, if you're doing a conversion of two formulas from one to the other. So they have put that in as a plugin-based system now, which will allow you to query the various commands, uh, how they work, descriptions of various sub-commands of the various things, If you you know, various search terms or whatever. And uh, they've put that in so you can either prefix a command with a question mark Or you can type the word help. And I think they've made it quite discoverable. And it allows you to use lots of things in there that are quite handy to have on command, like uh, especially for unit conversion, I find is quite useful.
0: All right. And the KDE developers have decided they want an excuse to go for a holiday in a lovely part of Italy. Pretty
3: much, yeah. Uh, It's the uh, Linux App Summit. So it's not just the KDE developers, there will be all the other ones there too. It's in Roverto, I think you pronounce it. I'm not entirely sure, but it's in the uh, Trento province uh, in the Italian Amps. And uh, it's a town known for its wine, coffee, rubber and chocolate. So make of that what you will. But uh, (laughs) the Call for Papers is coming out soon. And uh, hopefully there'll be some updates that and they've got a Twitter feed for people to to follow on that. So uh, I'm sure there'll be some great talks coming out of that.
0: An absolutely beautiful photo of the town and the Alps in the background. Yeah, it looks all right. Indeed. Well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan.
1: I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.